0: You turn in your Bibles to page nine forty one 944 and we'll just be reading verses 18 through 21 but you can see the larger context there in verses 14 through 23. We're reading Romans 8 beginning with verse 18. of the children of God, thus the reading of God's word. Let us pray. O Lord, cause our hearts to be lifted up in praise and trust because of all that you will do for your people now and forevermore. O Lord, work in us by your mighty spirit for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Kids, three words. We're back to smashing pottery. We didn't get to it last week. So, Smashing Pottery, Hubble Telescope, and Strider. Strider. Forty years ago, a man shared with me this statement by which he saw all of life. He said, Darwin, there are two things that will last in this world, people and the Word of God. Now, in that formula... Creation is left behind. Creation is not invited to the party. Creation didn't make the team. According to that view, creation's here now, but it will not be here when the end comes. But God says that we are vitally connected to the creation from the beginning all the way from now on in eternity. So we're going to look this morning at how that connection that we have to creation affects our lives today. So first, we're going to look at our life in this creation versus our life and compare it to our life in the next creation. Wait a minute. I said compare. Actually, what Paul says, and you can rest in this, there is no comparison with the present suffering and the future glory. Now, let's have a a, a review of our personal histories so that we know what Paul's talking about. Here you are living your life, you die. Your spirit goes to be with Christ in heaven. Your body is where? The grave. We all all know, let's say the grave. So your soul is in heaven, your body is in the grave. Then at the very end of time as we know it, Jesus comes again and your body and soul are restored, and then you have the new creation. That's a personal history. Jesus is comparing, or Paul is comparing our present life with the new creation life, not our heavenly life, all right? Now, he says not worth comparing. Imagine that you were a little short on money and you decided that you were gonna do construction this Saturday. Uh, in August in South Mississippi, and you're gonna do some work with some bricklayers. So you start at 7 a.m. By the time you hit lunch, every unused muscle in your body is is killing you. Then the heat index hits 110 in the afternoon, and you don't know if you're gonna make it. You're, you're profusely sweating, your body, your, your shirt is soaked in, in sweat, or if you're a woman, you're glowing brightly, uh, but you are, are hurting. Your hands are hurting. Your arms and legs are hurting. Your back is hurting. Twice you almost black out. Finally, you make it. You come home. You relate your day of suffering. Your roommate or your family friend says, okay, well, how much did you make? And you say, 200. And they say, well, that's not bad, $25 an hour. And you say, no, no, $200 million. And they gave me a house, a 10,000 square foot house, that's on 100 acres just outside of Hattiesburg. It has a lake. And they gave me three new cars, they gave me a yacht and a jet. And they're like, for one day of work? Yeah you can't compare them, right? That's the point Paul is making. If you suffer every hour of every day for 85 years, it's like a little grain of sand on a baby spoon compared to an endless wide beach of sugary white sand. You can't compare them. It's not worth comparing. And speaking of that glory, In Psalm 2, the kings of the earth are rising up against God. And God just laughs at them because he has put his son as king over them. And he says to his son, I give you all these nations as your possession. You will rule them with an iron rod and you will smash them like pottery. Okay. It's not that the kings are going to kill, attack God's people and destroy them. Jesus is going to destroy the kings. But it's not over. In Revelation chapter 2, at the end of this chapter, Jesus is addressing those who are faithful to him through all of their suffering. And this is what he tells them. I will give you authority over the nations. You, human being, Christian, You will rule them with an iron scepter, and you will smash them like pottery. When I first read that, I I couldn't get my mind around it. Because in some way, we cannot understand, in that final day, we, because we are joined with Christ, and because his story is our story, we participate in the final judgment. I don't know how and I don't know why, except for his love and his salvation. But he says the same thing to us that God said to the son. That's the extent of our glory. And we may suffer terribly on this earth, but it cannot be compared to the eternal reign with Jesus in his kingdom. You can rest in that. And secondly, you can realize your significance because our actions affect the whole of the creation. That's the way this reads. It says, it can't be compared to the glory revealed to us because the creation waits for it. In other words, this glory can't be compared to Because it's going to affect the whole creation. That's how great it is. That's how significant our lives and our future glory is. Philip's translation says the creation is on tiptoe, breathless with expectation. Like an owner watching her horse neck and neck at the finish line of the Kentucky Derby just craning to see the end. And it says that it's waiting because it, was, it is in bondage. It is in bondage, subjected to futility, which we'll get to. But it's in bondage. Imagine a man who's been incarcerated. He's been in prison for six years in Russia. And now he hears that this October 16, he's going to be released and he's going to return to his family in America. Think of his expectation for that day. That's what creation is waiting for. Its final freedom from its bondage. You see, in the Bible, early on in the book of Genesis, we're told that human beings are the overseers of creation. And that means whatever happens to the human beings, to people, happens to creation. They're wed together. It's like we're the train and the rest of creation, or we're the engine and the rest of creation is the train. So when we fell away from God into the chasm of sin, we drug all of creation with us. And only when the engine is put back in the final day at resurrection will creation be put back in in that day. In Romans 1, Paul says, is talking about when we turned away from God and he says, we became futile in our thinking. That means empty, pointless. And you get, you get what he's saying. Our whole, the whole meaning of our lives was to be God directed. Everything that we did was to embrace God and live in his fellowship and enjoyment. And when we turned away from that, life is fundamentally pointless and meaningless and then you die and end up in judgment for the rest of your life that's pointless ultimately meaningless and so it's the same word he uses here that creation was subjected to futility now not willingly it just had to be uh, subjected to futility because man had committed to futility is like children poor children trapped in a car, living in a car of drug addicts, and they're half starving to death. That's creation under our management as human beings. Futility. Not fulfilling your purpose, right? Not fulfilling the reason you were made, for which you were made. The Hubble telescope, for instance. It was... Sent up in 1990 after many years of work, actually conceived in 1946, but it it was up there in 1990. It was sending back great pictures. However, they were blurry. It had a mistake in the grinding of the primary lens. It was a huge mistake. The lens was off by one fiftieth of a human hair. Try dividing a hair into 50 pieces, 50 widths. That's how much it was off. But still, it was blurry. So they had to send the Challenger up. Astronauts put in five mirrors, crystal clear, like me in the fourth grade when I got glasses and I was driving home and I said, I can see leaves. I can see bricks in a building. Because I finally had clear vision. So the Hubble has clear vision and now it's fulfilling the purpose for which it was made. We see creation was made to be used for the glory of God, but people do not receive creation as a trust from God to glorify God with it. People don't use creation as a way to obey God. They don't enjoy creation in fellowship with God. They enjoy creation in place of God. People use creation for themselves and ignore the God who gives it to them. We worship creation instead of worshiping God. All of this is futility for creation. That's not what it was made for. It was made to be ruled by humans and to the glory of God. In the fourth century, John Chrysostom... Uh, Bishop of Constantinople wrote this on this passage. Paul means that the creation became corruptible. Why and for what reason? And he says, because of you, O oh man, that's why creation is corruptible. Because of you and me, because you have a body which has become mortal and subject to suffering. The earth too has received a curse and is brought forth thorns and thistles. The creation suffered badly because of you. That one really, we should take that to heart. The creation suffers badly because of us and became corruptible, but it has not been irreparably damaged for it will become incorruptible again for your sake. In other words, because of you, it will be restored To being incorruptible. So we rest in the future glory. We realize our significance with creation. And finally, we rejoice that when we are raised, all creation will be set free. All creation will be set free. It says we'll obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That word liberty or freedom is taken from exodus when the children of Israel were liberated from Egypt. And in a sense, he's saying creation awaits its own exodus from its own bondage. And what will that be? What will signal that our final glory will mean the liberty of creation? And this is an interesting word when he says Uh, speaks about this glory in verse 18 that is to be revealed to us. Literally, it reads, it will be revealed toward us or even into us. You see, that final glory reaches out and includes us in its radiance. You will participate in this glory. That beauty enters you You don't become divine, but you bear Christ's image. You will bear Christ's sheer goodness. Each one of you who trust in Christ, you will bear his sheer goodness. And that's when you'll be perfected in joy. Remember what Jesus said in uh, John 15. We've already talked about it in one of my sermons, but... He's in the context in which he's commanding them to love others as he has loved them. That is sacrificially giving yourself away as Christ has done. He said, I tell you these things, verse 11, so that you will know my joy and your joy will be full. You see the connection. When you love like me, you'll know my joy. Perfect goodness and perfect joy go hand in hand. Interestingly, in Pride and Prejudice, which I'm sure all of you men have read, um, Jane, after she's engaged uh, to Bingley, says to her sister Elizabeth, if I could see you be so happy, if there were such another man for you. Elizabeth says, if you were to give me 40 such men, I could not be as happy as you, I would have to have your disposition and your goodness if I was going to have your happiness. Same point, a good disposition alone. And in that day, we will have Christ's disposition, Christ's goodness, and Christ's eternal happiness. But right now, we don't really look like future kings and queens, do we? It reminds me of Lord of the Rings when the hobbits on their way to Rivendell with the one ring are in the Prancing Pony. And one of the great scenes, Mary sits down, uh, his friend has a small, pint, a small mug of beer. He comes down as a little hobbit with this giant mug. And he says, what is that? He says, this, my friend, is a pint. They have pints. <laughs> so he rushes off to get his pint, which is like a gallon to us, whatever. But at the Prancing Pony, they meet a mysterious individual, dark and mysterious name, Strider. Strider is the head of the leader of the Rangers of the North. They protect the Shire, the Hobbits' land, and other lands as well. And they are working undercover attacking, protecting against evil forces, but no one suspects who Strider really is. He is none other than Aragorn, Elessar, the high king of Arnor and Gandor, future ruler of these kingdoms. And all of you women and men, girls and boys, you are the future kings of the earth. But right now, you are a strider, an undercover agent. And you show your royal blood by your allegiance to Christ and your fierce sacrificial love for people. That's how royals live in the kingdom of God. And glory means not only that you'll have this sheer goodness, which alone prepares you to rule, But you'll have a magnificent body like Christ's body. Bodies of power, Paul says in another place. That never grow weak, that never get sick, that never age or die. Compared to what we are now, we'll be kind of superheroes in some way. We'll oversee the whole earth. We'll work perfectly together in everything we do with no jealousy. Perfect enjoyment of one another. We'll discover and develop the earth To its full flourishing, that's what creation is waiting for. The splendid reign of splendid human beings through the mighty work of Jesus Christ. Now, in many cases, we know mankind has abused the earth and its creatures. And some would say the solution, kind of enforced by what happened during COVID, is to get humans off the earth, right? But God's solution is not to remove human beings from the earth, but rather to redeem human beings, to steward the earth, and to maximize its fruitfulness and its beauty and its benefits. Creation is waiting for the renewal of mankind to shepherd the earth. And let's be honest, some of our hymns don't go far enough in what they say. Case in point, I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away in the morning when I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away, fly away. Okay, now that says good things. We suffering in this world, and we're going to go and be with Jesus. And that is fantastic. That's wonderful. But there's more to the story. When the Thessalonians were wondering, all right, Jesus is coming. We're here. He's going to change us. But what happens to those people who've already died? Are they missing the whole thing? It's a good question. And Paul says, no, What's going to happen is those who are asleep in Jesus, He's going to bring them back with Him when He comes, and they're going to be resurrected along with us. Oh, good! They're not missing out on anything. In fact, they're first in line. As you read that passage in First Thessalonians chapter four, so if we, they'll come back and to to rule the earth with Christ. So, uh, if we rewrite our song a little bit, it would read like this. I'll fly away, oh glory, but I'm flying back. When Christ comes with those who are asleep, I'm flying back, flying back. Everybody! Anyway. (laughs) That helps make the point to me. It helps underscore what's going to happen in the final day and what we're ultimately waiting for. Heaven, good as a stopping place, but we're waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in glorified bodies. Now, if you're visiting, we've been talking about the astounding privileges of being the children of God. And if you're here, And you don't trust Jesus. God the Father offers His Son to you. Offers His Son to stand in your place. To die and bear the punishment that you and I deserve. He offers Him to you for full forgiveness now and forever. He also offers in this. It's a part of forgiveness that you will become his child and you will inherit all things. It's a package deal. Forgiveness, standing righteous before God because of Jesus means you get everything. And we all, and I know the the, the believers here, join me. We urge you: don't, don't refuse the offer of being. God's child and heir. Don't refuse to be cared for and attended all your life by this faithful father of love. To refuse him. To refuse him means that you will be removed from the property on the last day. And cast away in judgment. Oh, come. Come. And believe in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Oh Father. How we thank you. For the great work you've done for us in Christ Jesus. Your salvation. Extends beyond anything we could imagine. And even when we read about it. We can't even begin to imagine it. We can't understand it. But we believe it. We believe that I has not seen nor I heard the things that are prepared for those who love Christ Jesus and yet they have been revealed to us Lord encourage our hearts encourage us in suffering encourage us to make known the greatness of your name in this world for you are a great God and greatly to be praised amen